Let's get down to business. Welcome to Profits and Purpose, a Colorado Business Roundtable production that unapologetically tells the stories of businesses good through conversations with Colorado's business leaders. Please welcome your host, the president of the Colorado Business Roundtable, Debbie Brown. Hi, thank you for joining us today on Colorado Business Roundtable's podcast, Profits and Purpose. Today, we're welcoming Carol Carter, who is the founder and CEO of Global Minded. Welcome, Carol. So great to be with you, Debbie. Thanks for having me here. Carol, I still remember you welcoming me at Jeff Wasden's going away party last December when I took over the position of president of Cobert. And you gave such a warm greeting. And it sounds like you all with Global Minded have been partners of Cobert for several years. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, um, when we first started, which was a little bit more than six years ago, I think I had met Gail and Jeff maybe that following year. And they were very supportive of our work and creating a capable, diverse talent pipeline. And um, we've been involved with them for several of our different live events, which, which of course, this year, nobody had any live events after March. So usually every year, every June, we have about 1,200 people. Um, but this year, we did it virtually. So that was definitely a shift for us. Absolutely. And before we jump into the mission and scope of Global Minded, I want to take a step back because I found your experience and the background that you bring to table bring to the table so interesting. And part of your bio, I think, frames it so well. The very first sentence talks about Carol Carter is a national and international student success author, speaker, and entrepreneur. And I think that really sums up some of the interesting things you've done in your career before you started Global Minded. Tell us tell us more about your journey and how you ended up where you are today. Well, I uh, started out my career after graduating from University of Arizona. I grew up in Tucson and uh, moved to uh, New York City and then became the first female AVP of Prentice Hall when I was 26 and the first female VP when I was 30 from, from the inside of the company when Pearson was buying the company. And that was really interesting. I really enjoyed uh, corporate life. I enjoyed uh, working with super smart people and our authors were amazing. People like Chuck Horngren and Philip Kotler and lots of people who I'm sure um, those of your members who went through traditional business programs uh, read these people's books. They were really the, um, you know, the experts in the business field. And of course, we had those same people in the science disciplines and engineering across all the areas. And it was just, you know, fabulous to be doing that. But I also just really to keep my head screwed on, quite honestly, because I was young without a lot of experience. I started writing in my own time, just to have something that was my very own thing that I didn't have to ask, you know, a committee of 12, if I could do it or whatever. And that became my first book, which was called Majoring in the Rest of Your Life, Career Secrets for College Students. Mm -hmm. And was based on, I grew up with four older brothers. I say that was the very best training for corporate America was to have four brothers. <laughs> Absolutely. And they really taught me a lot. And I, I know that if I had not had the wisdom and insight to learn from them and also from a lot of the setbacks that they had, um, I wouldn't have had the judgment and the perspective that I was able to have. And they you know, really encouraged me to to get a couple of internships in different cities. I worked one summer in Washington, D.C., one summer in New York City. 
they encouraged me to run for leadership positions while I was in college. And so those kinds of things made a really big difference once I launched into my professional career. And um, the writing piece ended up really eclipsing the whole corporate piece because over time, I really found through the writing and my my manager at um, Pearson was so supportive of me being able to go out and, and work with faculty and, and uh, do speaking sessions. And over time, I really loved working with students most of all. So after 17 years, I left and started a company called LifeBound and started publishing books for fifth through 12th graders and also started a coaching arm of that to help faculty really build professional skills among undergrads. Because one of the things when I would hire people from some of the best colleges is I, I thought to myself, you know, we've really trained young people to become professors, but most people are not going to go on within academia and we don't have young people in their 20s graduating out of these different programs with the professional skills needed to be able to go on to more responsibility, more earning power. And that's really a travesty for those students because they don't deserve that with their college degree. So that's a, a lot of what we really tackled with the coaching. And then um, I ended up in 2014 starting uh, Global Minded and Really started that because my family lost all of our money when we were in fifth grade. We had a, a major health crisis that my dad had. And um, I just realized that if it weren't for my brothers, I never would have been maybe even somebody who graduated from college, mm. much less somebody who was able to rise within corporate and kind of break a few of those glass ceilings as a woman. And it really occurred to me for women, people of color, underrepresented populations, they need the networks that my brothers were to me. And without those networks, you know, you could be, a, you know, a poor student from, you know, Ovid, Colorado and have all this potential. But if you don't have some of those networks, you may never leave that small town or start a business that could reinvent that small town. And I really could see that as one of the, the major um you know, really social and economic issues of our time. So um, I was fortunate that um, I did co-author a series with Pearson and uh, myself and three other women went on to earn like $65 million for Pearson. And I made a commitment to really funnel those book royalties back into both, you know, the Lifebound um, company to keep the prices of the books, you know, under $16, and then also to start Global Minded and and really um, circulate, you know, the, the good things that I have been able to have over the course of my career. And so that's how Global Minded came to be. You know, it's about creating a capable, diverse talent pipeline to get more women, people of color and underrepresented into education, employment, and leadership, so the C-suite on boards, you know, with people who can take what they earn and then be able to do good things for others. And I think that is something right now for so many of your members and people that you work with, that this is such a time when that kind of generous leadership um, is really needed in our world right now. And I read an article yesterday that um, Robert Putnam has a new book called Upswing, and it really analyzes why we haven't made more progress with women and people of color the last few decades. And he said it's because, you know, the 50s and the 60s, early part of the 70s was all about we. And then it became more individualistic. And 
we're still in that kind of maverick individualistic mode. And I was the complete surprise child of two World War II parents in their late 40s. You can imagine <laughs> what it would yeah. be like for four boys to then, you know, have a surprise that late in life, which is, Debbie, you're probably, you know, younger than late 40s, but, you know, it, <laughs> wow. But yeah. what I was, is having World War II parents was so amazing because they were so open-minded. I'll never forget my dad always saying, everyone on the ship was all, there was no color or culture or religion. We were all united behind the United States. And so that sort of openness and willingness to be with everybody was really fostered by my parents, but also this idea of generous leadership that you have so much that you owe, you know, to others. And um, I think that this is such a time where the way that we do that right now, the way that we knit together with people who are not the usual suspects or they're not normally people that we hang out with, that is how we're going to build like this next generation of really courageous leaders that are COVID produced. Yeah. Absolutely, Carol. You're such an inspiration. I look back at, you know, your abilities as a serial entrepreneur and, you know, some of the credit you give to your brothers in that, but also this desire to help people succeed because you were able to find opportunity and success. And so now it almost is interesting looking at kind of your bio and what you've done and global minded. It's almost as if you were ahead of time, but it's for such a time as this, as we're having hard conversations. We're searching for unity. Corporate America is trying to figure out how to solve some of these problems, I believe, and how to lean in and make sure that they are focusing on diverse pipelines and diverse workforce in a way that perhaps they never have before. So to some degree, Carol, do you feel like you were kind of meant for this moment and the work that you that has culminated? You know, I do. And I always, uh, some people call that like the Cassandra effect where you can see things before like everybody else sees them. And so <laughs> I feel like sometimes in my career that has been the case. And, you know, one of our um, speakers this year with Global Minded was a woman named Pamela Newkirk. And she wrote a book called Diversity Inc. And she talks about how the last three decades we've spent billions of dollars on diversity and inclusion training, but we don't have the results to show for it. Like we haven't moved the needle, you know, up. I think that the way we're organized, where we're really a big tent, I say, you know, we started out to be like Denver's version of South by Southwest, but on closing the equity gap. And now what's happened is we have a lot of programs leadership programs for first gender college. We just um, did a whole student speak report with 27 Colorado students and 102 students from around the country and published a report so that college presidents and policymakers would know firsthand what's on these students' minds. We also just started these um, equity teams. There's one for technology, there's one for STEM, there's one for health, there's one for foundations and funders. And I would love to work with you all in Cobert on the on the workplace one that that we can have where it's really women, people of color, and they are working with the amazing leaders who are a lot of the people who helped me, which is, you know, people like my brothers. They are Caucasian males, but they are opening doors for all of these underrepresented populations in ways that just women cannot do that or just Latinos cannot do that. It, no one group can do it for themselves, by themselves. It's really the power of the collective. 
Yeah, absolutely, Carol. And I know we've had some at least some initial conversations on how we can work together more. And the roundtable has a really deep history of connecting and collaborating and leaning in on public policy. So it'll be fun to think about how we can work together on talent pipeline and really giving an opportunity for our corporate partners, like you said, to lean in to that conversation and to action a little bit more looking yeah. ahead. Absolutely. Well, we would love that. And I also think that you all have such great policy programs and those are not things that we're doing. You know, you have some strengths in areas that we don't. And I think we have some strengths in areas that would bring a lot of value, you know, to your corporate partners, including um, ways we can really broker um, some of the amazing young people that are coming out of our programs as well. Perfect. Tell us, um, tell me a little bit about what your plans are for 2021. You know, we've been in kind of this odd COVID time. There's a sense of optimism I'm feeling from organizations looking ahead about what kinds of programming you're going to implement to fulfill your mission. What can you give us a sneak peek on for, for the coming year or two? Sure. Well, you know, one thing is we don't know if we're going to be able to come together next summer yet. You know, I think we are all just in wait and see if there's a vaccine, that, which we all hope there is this spring, that people will be able to travel again next um, next summer. But we're kind of in a wait and see mode around that. And where we've pivoted is to monthly have these equity teams be able to get different people together and really identify what needs to be tackled in that specific area. The other thing we've done is we pivoted from like our newsletter used to be three times a week. And then during COVID people asked it to be daily. So we're kind of thematically looking at things like, so for November, we'll be featuring a lot on native leaders, veterans, and, you know, some of our, our rural leaders that we work with. So when there are things like Veterans Day or, or, or certain things like February's Black History Month, we'll be doing a number of different programs around our African American leaders. But in December, we're going to do something that we just decided was important and it's not on anyone's calendar. And that is, um, issues around health and mental health. So we have such a strong health equity team, but we know that 2020 has been so hard for so many people and especially on the mental health side of things, not just on the health side with COVID and staying safe, but also on the side of um, people really managing so many different demands. So we're right. going to be doing December programming around that as well. So, it's interesting to think about trade-offs, right? You know, I think we get tunnel vision about COVID-19 and social distancing and, you know, quarantining and then, okay, there's a trade-off to that, not only in terms of economic impact, but also mental health impact. So yeah. I'm really glad to hear you're exploring that. Yeah. So, so those are sort of the things I have to say that um, we have been in so much response mode that I'm, I'm such a planner and it's so ironic because last year for the first time, our entire conference was planned by February the 5th. Oh. <laughs> Good. April 20th. But it was just so funny because then it was like, oh my gosh, it's all planned. And we had to, we had to scrap, you know, not scrap, but we just had to pivot to the virtual. So I just totally. say, laid plans, you have to have a sense of humor. No, no, I'm a planner too. I'm looking ahead to next year and want to have it all outlined, but it's got to be a rolling plan is kind of how That's I look right. at it. Tell me about your inclusive leader awards. I, I find that so interesting too, in light of all the new conversation around um, inclusivity and equity. And I'd love to hear about, about how you honor people in that space. 
Sure. So we really believe that if you're going to close the equity gap, you have to have a multi-pronged strategy. So we can't just say we're about first-gen and low-income students and not have a strategy for working with colleges and HBCUs and Hispanic-serving institutions. Um, the same is true with corporate, that we believe there really needs to be um, Academy Awards for diversity and inclusion, and there are wonderful people making a difference, but people can't name them the way they can name movie stars and sports stars. So this will be our second year, and we're slated to do those awards on November the 19th, so we would love to have you join us for those incredible people are receiving those those awards this year. So we're across 14 sectors and um, we really believe that this will help to raise those corporate examples and raise those people who are doing really remarkable work. Just like First Gender College, they need role models and we try to profile those people in our newsletter every day, but business people also need role models. And if we don't have that for them writ large, they can't see the behavioral things that they can aspire to that these people have already lived and created. Yeah, that sounds great. And I'm happy to help promote that event to our partners and make sure that we are a part of that. And I'd love to attend. And Carol, that kind of leads me to my wrap up question. How can some of our partners and, and we've got business CEOs and executives from a wide variety of sectors in Colorado mostly larger businesses, but not all. But if they were interested in how they could be more involved with Global Minded and all the good work you're doing, where do they go? What do they look for? How do they jump in? Sure. So our website is uh, www.globalminded.org. Our office is near East High School. We're in uh, uh, Old Victorian. And uh, that number is 303-327-5688. And my email is Carter at globalminded.org. And there are really a number of different ways you could have uh, some of your key managers, if you're a CEO, get involved with our equity teams, if that's of interest. You could have um, your person who's in charge of hiring help us to get more people to be mentors for our first-gen students who are from Colorado and not even the ones who were selected for the leadership class, but we have other students that we work with as well. Um, there are partners of ours, like um, the Inclusive Economy and Helen Hayes. They're doing a lot of work with CEOs on DNI issues, so they're looking specifically on getting people to have better DNI practices. We're looking more at that whole pipeline. So, you know, the other the other thing that we um, have as a big goal is to get uh, more robust, you know, funding and structure together for our young professionals who have been through our programs. Now they've graduated and now they're, you know, under 30, but they can learn a lot from each other in ways that it's hard for any one company to provide that kind of structure. So that might be another nice thing, you know, that we might do, Debbie, with Cobert is think about how to really grow those young professionals and what they're capable of doing so that they have strong support with each other, especially in these really unusual times, but that they can be getting some professional development because they're able to have access to some of your folks. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we've got a lot of talking to do, don't we, to come up with plans for the next year. And and I think um, here's the good news. The answer is yes. Like Cobert wants to partner with Global Minded. We want to work together and we're going to figure out some exciting new strategies looking ahead. And and I really loved what you said about unity. I think there are things that we can all be unified about. And this is definitely one of those topics. 
Yeah, I think so too. And I'll say that one more about business people is I think right now, you know, sometimes less than desirable things happening in politics. <laughs> but I think the business people and the academic leaders, like they are the ones who can really like raise it up high for everybody and be the role models for our young people that they they really can look up to. So that's another way that I think we can we can knit some things together as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Carol Carter, for joining us today on our podcast, Profits and Purpose. And I look forward to speaking with you soon on ways that we can work together some more. Thank you, Debbie. It's been great spending time with you all. Take care. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the Colorado Business Roundtable. Be sure to check out all of our episodes on Podcatchers Everywhere at cobrt.com. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom in Deaf Communications. Thank you for listening to Profits and Purpose.